From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Welcome you to this broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. As we begin this new year, we invite you to hear Dr. Cairns as he continues a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself, as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text is found in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 37. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Prayer is the forerunner of mercy. Turn to sacred history and you will find that scarcely ever did a great mercy come to this world unheralded by supplication. You have found this true in your own personal experience. God has given you many an unsolicited favor, but still great prayer has always been the prelude of great mercy with you. When you first found peace through the blood of the cross, you had been praying much and earnestly interceding with God that He would remove your doubts and deliver you from your distresses. Your assurance was the result of prayer. When at any time you have had high hopes and rapturous joys, you have been obliged to look upon them as answers to your prayers. When you have had great deliverances out of sore troubles and mighty helps in great dangers, you have been able to say, I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Prayer is always the preface to blessing. It goes before the blessing as the blessing's shadow. When the sunlight of God's mercies rises upon our necessities, it casts the shadow of prayer far down upon the plain. Or, to use another illustration, when God piles up a hill of mercies, He Himself shines behind them, and He casts on our spirits the shadow of prayer, so that we may rest certain, if we are much in prayer, our pleadings are the shadows of mercy." Prayer is thus connected with the blessing to show us the value of it. If we had the blessings without asking for them, we should think them common things. But prayer makes our mercies more precious than diamonds. The things we ask for are precious, but we do not realize their preciousness until we have sought for them earnestly. Prayer makes the darkened cloud withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw, gives exercise to faith and love, brings every blessing from above. 
For those in the English-speaking world, the ability to own a copy of God's Word is taken for granted. Indeed, many of us possess multiple copies of the Bible. Yet, this was not always the case. There was a time when attempts to translate the Bible into the language of the common people were met with persecution and even death. Men like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale were hunted like outlaws simply because they labored to give God's Word to the people in the language they could understand. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to make available a booklet that briefly traces the history of those efforts. Entitled, How We Got Our English Bible, this short publication tells the story of the development of the authorized version of the Scriptures as we know it, including the enormous impact of the invention of printing upon the spread of God's Word. Published by the Trinitarian Bible Society, this booklet is free to all who request it. Simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of How We Got the English Bible, and we'll be happy to provide it. today's broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns commences a message entitled, The Christ of the Second Touch, part of this series in the life and earthly ministry of Christ. The passage under consideration is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, the account of Jesus healing a blind man. This miracle was unique in that it was progressive, the only recorded instance of such a healing in the Scriptures. Dr. Cairns will show how the Lord used this method to demonstrate spiritual truths. Sinners are blind by birth, and only the touch of the Savior can give them sight. Also, many believers, including Christ's own disciples, fail to have the spiritual understanding they should have, and so need that second touch from the Lord Jesus. He gives the ability to see, and then the power to use that sight for His glory. Now here is Dr. Cairns to introduce this message, The Christ of the Second Touch. Now let's turn to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark as we continue the studies in the life of Christ. We read the portion, verse 22 to 26 of Mark chapter 8. 
And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit in his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Amen. The Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. The healing of this blind man was both marvelous and unique. It was marvelous because while it's easy to read these words, I hope that you'll not miss their force. The Lord Jesus gave sight to a man who was blind. People wonder about the details that are not explained. More often than not, people will read this and say, what's the significance of him spitting or probably in his fingers and putting them to the eyes. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say. Some notion that there uh, there was the idea back in those days, it gave the message of uh, uh, compassion, of identification. Uh, it could be something quite down to earth like, as you'll see often when you go to the Middle East to this day and see blind people, that the eyes were simply gummed shut. And uh, he was taking the simplest way of ungumming them. We don't know. But it certainly was marvelous because by his touch, he gave sight to a blind man. But it was also unique. Now, that may sound strange in that this was not the only blind man who received his sight. But the uniqueness is in this. This is the only case recorded in the entire ministry of Christ of a progressive cure of something that was started and it was a miracle at its inception, but yet it was not completed at the first touch. The Lord Jesus touched his eyes and he regained his sight. He asked him what he saw, and the man saw first imperfectly, for he said, to give the words their literal rendering, I behold the men, for as trees I see them walking. In other words, if it weren't for the fact that they were walking. If it were not for the fact that he could discern the motion, he could not tell the difference between men and trees. So imperfect was his sight. So the Lord Jesus put his hands again upon his eyes, and the cure was complete. Now, the fact that the Lord Jesus healed this man progressively is worthy of the closest attention, not only because of the miracle itself, but obviously because 
of the spiritual implications that it carries. The Word of God speaks of man's condition in his sin as one of blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And it goes on to define regeneration as God shining light, a, a divine command. He likens it, Paul likens it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, to the initial creation when God said, let there be light. Paul says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's not too much to say then that this miracle reveals some important truths concerning the spiritual miracle of God imparting spiritual sight to blinded people. However, I have much more reason than simply my speculation or simply joining various scriptures together to say that the Lord Jesus intends us to see spiritual implications in this miracle. Why on this occasion did he not heal this man immediately and perfectly at the first touch? Why did he heal him in such a way that he saw? But in another sense, he didn't. He was healed. He had sight. But yet, in another sense, he needed a second touch. Why did the Lord Jesus do it? I think that if you look at the connection with what goes immediately before in Mark chapter 8, you see that verse 21 ends with Christ asking his disciples the question, How is it that ye do not understand? Now, this is a question that arose because, if you start at verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And when Jesus said, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, they immediately began to say, He's upbraiding us because we have forgotten to take bread. How on earth they ever reached that conclusion baffles me. Uh, there seems to be no connection whatsoever between what Christ said and what they thought He meant. And so the Lord Jesus says, Why do you reason because we have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do you not remember? He reminds them that he had, feed, he had fed 5,000 with the lunch of a little boy. And again, he had taken a few scraps, and he had multiplied them, and he had fed 4,000 men. And on both occasions, there was food left over. So the Lord Jesus is saying, why do you jump to these crazy conclusions when I say beware of the leaven of the Pharisees as if suddenly I'd lost the power to feed you? How is it that you don't understand? That's a good question. It's a question that I think gives us the reason why this immediately follows. There are people who are genuinely touched by the hand of Christ, 
who genuinely have received spiritual sight, spiritual life. They are genuinely his disciples. They have had a genuine experience of saving grace. And yet he has to lament over them. Yet you do not understand. In the case of the disciples, after all this time with Christ, yet their heart was hardened. Now here's a challenge for all of us today. We get so proud of our theology, so proud of our knowledge or what we imagine is our knowledge. People who are proud of their knowledge are usually the most ignorant idiots you can imagine. People proud of their knowledge only say that their minds are so small that they have no idea how much they don't know. But these things harden our hearts. We think we see. We think we know. We think we understand. We think we have had great spiritual experience. But the hearts are hardened. We perceive much. But we see, really see, to the heart of things, very little. We hear a lot. But we don't understand the full implications. And especially, we are not appropriately affected by the mighty acts of God. These people had seen 5,000 fed, 4,000 fed. From that, they should have drawn certain conclusions. Their faith should have been strengthened. They should have reached the place of making certain adjustments in their lives. They should have been living in the faithful light of what they had learned. But what they had learned had not got through to affect their hearts. Now do you begin to grasp Why immediately following on this spiritual failure of the disciples, the Lord Jesus, by this miracle, taught them a glorious truth. He made another great revelation of himself. They were afraid that he was angry with them, that he was upbraiding them. In fact, what he did was to reveal himself in a new way. And I like to think of him here as the Christ of the second touch. To me, that's a very important theme. Because I think this is one of the experiences of Christ that we all need. The Christ of the second touch. When you look at this passage, and I'll start right at the beginning, though I'll try to be brief in it. I want you to see that the Lord deals with us in different ways according to his own will to bring us to the full experience of his grace and power. If anything teaches the utter sovereignty of God and of his Christ in salvation, it's this. Here he dealt with this man in a totally different way than he had dealt from anybody else. In fact, if you consider carefully the four recorded cases of blind men receiving sight. You'll see the sovereignty of Christ clearly in operation. In all the cases except one, the blind people either came to Christ or were brought to him 
In the case of the man born blind, John chapter 8, John chapter 9, should I say, the great physician came to him. It prompted one famous Bible commentary to remark that so some seek and find Christ. Of others, he is found. He is completely sovereign in how he deals with souls. And when you look at this case where Christ dealt differently, you'll see that that sovereignty is perfectly wise. You have to wonder, what does it mean he gave him sight, but he couldn't really see? It is possible that with the first touch he restored the eyes, that with the second he imparted the faculty of using them. I don't know that it's a possibility. But I do know that that's what he does in salvation. Those are the two aspects. He gives the power of sight, the power to respond to spiritual truth. We may call that the gift of saving faith. And then he progressively enables us to use that power, that faculty, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. See, he doesn't always lead new converts all at once into all that he intends to give them. That, that is a fallacy that uh, some have fallen into. I remember a young fellow who had been saved all of a couple or three weeks, and he got into a particular uh, group of people who began to brainwash him pretty good, and uh, they taught him that it was not right for a Christian to pray for the Holy Ghost. It was not right for a Christian to pray for the fullness of the Holy Ghost or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You get everything the moment you're saved. And of course, knowing all of two or three Bible references that had nothing to do with the subject in hand, but with all the authority of second-hand information given by others who knew very little to start with, he was absolutely certain that he didn't need to ask for anything else from Christ. But it is not the experience of God's people that the Lord Jesus gives them all that he intends to give them right at the beginning. He gives them the faculty of receiving and responding, but he actually enables them to employ that in an increasingly perfect way. listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, 
fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 